City. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Heaven is thrilled. Heaven is rejoicing. Rejoice, O heavens. Why? Because they're rid of him. They don't have him anymore. But that's what says woe to the earth. Heaven's loss, or, or heaven's gain, I should say, is earth's loss. So he, he comes down to the earth. He knows he only has a little time left, three and a half years. And he's going to, to go full steam ahead to, and to vent his anger on the one thing on earth that is precious to the Lord, and that's his people, and specifically Israel. in your mind what a heavenly battle between Satan and his demons and Michael and the hosts of heaven would look like? (laughs) I think that battle would be one that is off the charts. Who do you suppose will win this battle and what will be the result? Well, I'm sure you're all saying, well, the bad guys lose and the good guys win. And you would be right. As for the results, you will have to wait until we dive into today's verse-by-verse program. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue talking about the second half of the tribulation period on today's Verse by Verse, and he is ready to start. There is coming a day when Satan and his evil angels will be involved in a war with Michael, who's an archangel, and other good angels, and they will lose. That is, Satan will lose in his angels or demons. And the result will be that he will be permanently ousted from any kind of entrance into to heaven. It says in verse 9, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. That has not taken place yet. That will take place midway into the tribulation period. He will be permanently expelled from heaven. Now, let's look at that. Let's look at verse 12 and we'll see. We'll put some, some things together. For this reason, rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell on them, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he is only a short time. Only a short time, because he knows it's three and a half years, and that's the end. He knows the Bible, by the way. He knows it better than us. Remember the demons often in, in the ministry of our Lord would say, uh, are you going to torment us before the time? They understand prophecy pretty, pretty well. And so, they're moving towards that. And uh, heaven, according to verse 12, heaven is thrilled. Heaven is rejoicing. Rejoice, O heavens. Why? Because they're rid of him. They don't have him anymore. But that's what says, woe to the earth. Heaven's loss, or or heaven's gain, I should say, is earth's loss. So he, he comes down to the earth. He knows he only has a little time left, three and a half years. And he's going to, to go full steam ahead to, and to vent his anger on the one thing on earth that is precious to the Lord, and that's his people, and specifically Israel. Verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now, when does this persecution begin? According to the other scriptures, halfway into the tribulation. Halfway into it. So that's when he's thrown down. This will be the worst expression of anti-Semitism ever. And he will be out to destroy Israel and prevent Christ from returning for her. However, God is not going to let this happen. Verse 14. 
And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpents. Now, um, I said, what is that talking about? Well, this verse expands on verse 6, which we didn't look at yet, but look, just jump over to verse 6 of this chapter. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. By the way, that's three and a half years. Time, times, and half a times, three and a half years. So our chronology is correct on this. Now, what does this mean? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it does say that God has his place prepared for Israel where she will be protected for three and a half years. How he does it, I don't know. Some say an airlift, speaking of, of an eagle, and, and uh, it's possible. Some type of an airlift, um, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, where are they going to be hid? I don't know. There's all kinds of speculation on it. Some say maybe the uh, fortress city of Petra, which is in uh, Jordan now and, and the mountains east of Israel. How God is going to do this, I don't know. And I would caution you from, uh, from going to teachers who have all the answers when the scriptures don't tell us. You see, it's very easy to sensationalize prophecy. You sell a lot of books that way. The problem is it just may not be accurate. But people love that kind of stuff. And so we reserve judgment where God has not revealed it. And uh, where the place of refuge is, how he's going to do it, I don't know. But he's going to protect Israel for three and a half years. Verse 15, and the serpent, and we know who the serpent is, this is the devil. He poured water like river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. Now, this is a chapter expressing literal realities using symbolic language. So this doesn't necessarily have to be a literal flood of water. It, it could be, it might be. Uh, but I think the thought would be more that Satan's persecution is pictured like an overwhelming flood of water. Whether it is physical water or not, I don't know. But the point is it's overwhelming. But he won't be able to destroy Israel with it. Verse 16, And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So somehow Satan is going to be foiled in his attempt to destroy the Jewish people. Perhaps it's an earthquake, perhaps it's something else. I don't know, but he doesn't succeed. And then notice what he does. This only infuriates Satan. So verse 17 says, and the dragon was enraged with the woman. The woman is Israel. So the dragon was enraged, enraged with Israel and went, af and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who are these folks? Jewish believers. Hebrew Christians. At this point, Israel's not converted yet. They will be, but it's only midway in the tribulation. So when he can't get to the nation as a whole, the nation, at least that third that God is preserving, he goes off to make war with those who are Jewish believers. How does he do this? Now you've got to go back to Mark 13. And this sort of helps you, at least it should, not, not confuse you, but help you to understand what's going on. He can't get to the nation. He's persecuting them. He's already killed two-thirds, but one-third is kept and preserved. Now he goes after believers, Jewish believers. Verses 21 and 22. And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order, if possible, to lead the elect astray. Now, keep in mind where Jewish believers will be located. Where did Jesus say to go? Get out of here. Flee to the mountains. Take refuge somewhere. They left without anything. They were told, don't even go back and, and get your clothes, get your coat, 
just, just get out. They left with nothing but the, but the clothes on their, their bodies, and they were told not to waste time and go back for anything. So there they are hiding. Now picture this, hiding in the mountains, probably in little clusters, uh, and the only ones who would really understand this would be Jewish believers because Jesus is telling them this, and they know the word, so they're going to do this. Probably in little clusters, little groups in caves, and, and there are many caves in Israel, hiding there. Um, but in their midst will be false teachers who have infiltrated them and placed there by Satan in order to lure them out of hiding. Let's read verse 21 and 22 again, and you'll see what I mean. And then if anyone says to you, and these would be the false teachers, behold, here's the Christ. Behold, or behold, he's there. Do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order, if possible, to lead the elect astray. So there'll be some false teachers there who will be Satan's emissaries, and they are going to claim, now watch this, they're going to claim the Messiah has come. He's with our group. He's here. Some will say, no, he's not here, but he's in Jerusalem performing signs and miracles and wonders. Come out. You've been isolated too long. You don't get the Jerusalem post here. I'm telling you, he's in Jerusalem. Another will say, no, he's with us. He's in our little group, and they might even show some kind of false counterfeit Messiah who can do signs and wonders. And they'll say, come out of your hiding. Come back with us to Jerusalem. It's, it's all right. Messiah has come on his kingdom, and we're okay. These miracles are intended to lead believers astray, so they'll be convinced that the Messiah has really come, and they'll come out of their hiding and follow their, their Messiah, who they'll think, this is the thought at least, the intent, they'll think that this is their Messiah, and, and this is what Satan would want. Why? Because as soon as they follow these false teachers and their Messiahs out into the, false Messiahs now, out into the open, then Antichrist authorities just snatch him and they're killed. That's, that's, what's, that's how he turns his attention, according to Revelation. He says he goes to war with Hebrew believers, and this is how he goes to war with them. Tries to deceive them. But notice what Jesus said at the end of verse 22. If possible to lead the elect astray. You know what? They can't be led astray. They won't be led astray. In other words, they, they won't be led astray because it is not possible for one of God's children to follow a false Christ. They may be misled. They may come out of hiding, but they'll know who's a false Christ and who's not. And that's a great encouragement. Christians can and do get confused about doctrine. You and I can get confused about doctrine, and we can go off on on biblical tangents, or I should say non-biblical tangents, and go off into all kinds of, of fuzzy kind of theology. But one thing that a believer will never be led astray on, never be confused about, is to follow a false Messiah. Once your heart is fixed upon Jesus Christ, it will not be moved from following someone else who claims to be him, claims to be the Messiah. Once you come to know Jesus Christ, you will never be deceived into believing that someone else is Lord and Messiah. No Jewish person will ever say, you know, I followed Jesus all these years as Messiah, but uh, no Jewish believer, I should say, will ever say, I followed Jesus for all these years, but I made a mistake. He's really not the Messiah. Someone else will be. Jesus said that's impossible. And no Gentile believer will ever say that either. You see, according to John chapter 10, my sheep, Jesus said, hear my voice. And they follow me, and I know them, and they know me. You have an abiding, deep relationship with Jesus. Though you've never seen him, First Peter tells us that, you love him. You have a deep relationship, you know him. Uh, it isn't that you just know about him, you actually know him. You have a relationship with him. And you cannot be fooled into following someone else who claims to be him. You will know when you see him that it's him. Notice verse 23. 
Jesus says, this is an interesting statement, but take heed, behold, I've told you everything in advance. I think there's a parallel passage in Matthew 24, verses 25 to 26, which, which helps us understand what he, what he meant. I'll just read it to you. Behold, I have told you everything in advance. If therefore they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go forth. And he means the false teachers now. Don't go forth into the wilderness. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe them. What Jesus is saying is, in other words, don't listen to anybody else but me. I told you these things in advance, so listen to me regardless of the signs and wonders you see in that day. He said, I don't care what they tell you. You listen to me, and I've told you in advance, so you're not going to be deceived. Don't go out looking for somebody else. Because listen, that's not me. And you know, that's helpful advice to us today. Stick with the word of God, what Jesus has said. Don't go after signs and miracles and wonders. That's, that's good, solid advice. Now, stick with the word of God and don't go after the supernatural deeds that people claim are, are of God. You stick with the word. So these Hebrew Christians in hiding uh, aren't going to be led astray. They won't follow a counterfeit Messiah. But how will they know when Jesus has come back? I mean, really, they, they will be in the mountains. They will be in caves. They'll be cut off from the Jewish community. They'll be cut off from the world. They're not going to have radios there. How do I know? Jesus said, don't go into your home and get anything. Unless they have a radio with them, I guess. They're you know, listening in the field, and then they'll have it. But they'll be cut off from the world. How will they know when Jesus arrives? After all, they're stuck in the mountains. So Jesus tells them how they can tell when he comes. And this is the last sign, the, the fifth sign. First is counterfeit messiahs. Secondly, conflicts between nations. Third, calamities on earth. Fourth, contempt for believers. And finally, the fifth sign, cosmic disturbances. Cosmic disturbances. Notice verses 24 through 26. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Jesus said darkness is going to cover the whole earth. As the sun and the moon and the stars will cease to function by giving off light. Now, don't think this conflicts with, with what Jeremiah said. This is just temporary, just temporary. Remember, Jeremiah said, if that stops, then so will my care for Israel. Just temporary, not permanently. Notice what Jesus said, the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Shaken by who? By Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.3 says this, Speaking of Christ, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Do you know why things are held in place today? Why gravity is a law? Why the sun and the moon and the stars and, and everything doesn't, doesn't go into complete chaos? Because Jesus said, stay in your place. Work. Work as I've designed you to work. The, the world is sustained by the word of his power. He sustains. He's not just the creator, he's the sustainer. The powers that are in the heavens, Jesus said, will be shaken. Jesus Christ is going to shake them. You know how? He's going to withdraw his power. He's going to say, whatever he's going to say, stop functioning, or whatever. The word of his power will be withdrawn, and, and uh, just before he returns, he will withdraw that power, and the physical universe will begin to convulse, and it'll go dark. Lights out for everybody. It won't just be a local eclipse. Everything will be dark. Luke 21 says, and there will be signs in the sun and the moon and stars and upon the earth, dismay among nations 
in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. It'll never be like this. It'll be a horrid time. The world will just go dark and it'll start to convulse. In fact, this word faint that Luke uses means to stop breathing. In other words, people are going to die of fright. That's how scary it's going to be. And when the world is covered with darkness and everything seems to be out of control, verse 26 says that Jesus Christ will suddenly light up the universe with the brightness of his glory as he comes in the clouds. Verse 26, and then, and then when? And then when everything is dark, and then they shall see the sun. How can you see anything when it's dark? Because you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. His glory will finally be unveiled. The disciples got just a touch of that on the Mount of Transfiguration. But this world has never seen the Shekinah glory of Jesus Christ like they will. He'll, he'll light up the whole universe, not just our world. The whole universe will light up with the radiance of his, of his glory. Now, he comes in the clouds. Whether these clouds are specially prepared clouds or uh, natural clouds, I don't know. That's really not that significant. Christ's return will be visible to everyone on the earth, and his brilliant glory will be seen by all. You say, all, even the people who are in the caves and the mountains. That's the point. How will they know when he's come back? Jesus said, you'll know it because I'll light up the sky. Every eye can see the radiance of his glory. We'll be able to see it. And then what, what happens? Verse 27. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds and from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. All those people who hid from the Antichrist along with all the believers on the earth and especially the nation of Israel which will be converted at this, at this point will be gathered back to Israel. And this is the final regathering of what the scriptures spoke of. We've had uh, preliminary regatherings, we've had temporary regatherings, but now they're going to be brought back to the land in order to enjoy the kingdom that's been promised to them. In fact, it's a wonderful verse in Luke 21, 28. There's even a song about this. I was thinking of the words the other day. It's not, it's not very good in its theology, but this um, it places things in the wrong, the wrong order and the wrong place. But uh, Luke 21, 28 says this, and I think this is primarily for those who are going to be hiding out in the caves, hiding in the mountains. When will they know when he's coming back? Listen, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up, Jesus said, and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. It's drawing near. When you see these things happen, then look up. Why? Because I'm coming. Your redemption draws near. Now let's pull this together with some very applicable principles. Some things that you can sort of get hold of and take with you. Number one, the fact that God will shorten the days of the tribulation indicates that he's in control. Even during the worst days of, of this world's experience, he's in control. We may not be in the tribulation now, and we're not in the tribulation now, but we all tend to wonder what God is doing when there's pain and suffering and when we're going through some tough times. And we forget that God is still in, in control over the affairs of men. He cut short the tribulation because he has a plan and it's working out. God is not asleep. If you're going through difficult times, understand that God has not forsaken you. He just wants you to trust him. I love the story of Joseph who was so mistreated and the Bible says that God was with him. Because you read that and you go, where was God? Well, he was with Joseph the whole time, and he's with you no matter what you're going through. 
He's in control. Nothing can happen to you without God's permission and sovereign awareness. Even death, nothing can happen apart from being God's plan. That's why Romans 8.28 is such a comfort. We know that all things work together for good to them that, that love God and those are believers, to them who are the called. Uh, and the next verse says that he's conforming us to the image of Christ. That's why everything is working together for good. Even the pain and suffering you're going through will ultimately make you more like Jesus Christ. Second truth, prophecy is not given to satisfy our curiosity, to fill our heads with knowledge. It's given to help us to live better. And the best illustration of that is Mark 13. The disciples were off on their theology. They thought when Jerusalem would be destroyed in 70 AD, then that would be the end of, of the age. And they were wrong. But Jesus didn't give them Mark 13 to straighten out their wrong theology. He gave them Mark 13 in order to help them live and prepare them and prepare other disciples to live during the tribulation period. Um, That's why in verse 5, he says, See to it that no one misleads you. There's an exhortation. Verse 9, be on your guard, he says. Verse 23, but take heed. And then in verse 33, he says, take heed again. Keep on the alert. The point is, is that prophecy, God wants you to understand prophecy so that you respond uh, properly to truth about his coming. More than just knowing where everything fits. There are some people who just, you know, love prophecy because they get swelled heads and they can figure out where everything fits. That's not the point of prophecy. It's to change your life. John said, and we who have this hope in Christ coming, we purify ourselves. You keep in mind that Jesus is coming, you're going to live a pure life. Even the purpose of the book of Revelation, you know what the purpose of Revelation is? To encourage the believers who are suffering. I mean, there's, prophecy is very practical, applicable. Third truth, I see from this passage that God keeps his word. Acts chapter 1, this is great. God God keeps his word. Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus is about to go back to the Father. So when they, verse 6, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? They, They still didn't understand it all. Is it this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or epics with the Father, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside him. That would be angels. And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? I mean, that's a strange sight, all these guys looking up in the sky. Why? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come again in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And does God keep his word? That's exactly how he's coming back. He's going to come back, Zechariah says, uh, on clouds, and and he's going to land on the Mount of, of Olives. That's where he took off from. God keeps his word. But you know why I love this? Because the disciples were saying, Lord, is it now? Is the kingdom here now? And Christ's comment to them is really this, in essence, don't worry about the time. It's not your concern. Just be faithful telling others about me. Just be my witnesses. Don't worry about when I'm coming back in terms of trying to figure out that. Your, your thing is to just be faithful until I come, and I will come again. And the angel said, listen, he will come again. So you know what we have to do when we study prophecy? Say, it's interesting, it's important to us that we, we want to understand this, but we're called not to get so caught up in this that we lose the perspective that we're called to be witnesses right now. Right now. The rapture could come today. The rapture could come in a 100 years. 
It could have come the first day after Christ left. It could have come any time in the history of the church. We're not to be so caught up in prophecy that we lose a sense of, of here and now. God has us here to be witnesses and be faithful to Him. The question is, are you ready? Are you faithful now? And if you don't know Christ, are you ready for the rapture? And are you ready to stand before Him? One thing that keeps coming up in this series is the fact that things will get horrible here on planet Earth, and God wants His children to tell others about Him. We are to be witnesses to what God has done in our lives. Thank you for joining us today for Verse by Verse, and I hope you are able to join us next time as we continue with this powerful series, Birth Pains for the Kingdom. If you ever miss a program or part of a program, you can get caught up by going to versebyverseradio.org and look for the Archives tab where you will find past messages. Until next time, keep your eyes open for the people that God puts into your life who need to hear the good news. We'll be right back.